Uh, as we talk about the women of Christmas, uh, it, these are all found in Matthew 1. I'll invite you to turn there with me in your uh, copy of the scripture. And uh, I'm just going to read the select verses that mention the women. The, the Matthew genealogy uh, is the one that goes with Mary. Yes, church for kids. If you've got children, it is time for them to go. Uh, they're standing in the back waiting on them so they can take them. They'll be uh, just straight back and through the gym and in that room. So uh, if you have children would like to go to a church for kids, that's now. Uh, you feel free to go. Um, so uh, get my brain back where it was. Um, and this Matthew genealogy is the genealogy through Mary. The one in Luke is the genealogy through Joseph and the reason God gives us both of those is Jesus had to be a son of David. Well, who was Jesus' father? God, yes. Joseph was his adopted earthly father. God adopted his father. He didn't adopt Jesus. God adopted him. But Jesus had no earthly father. He had God as his father. And so uh, Joseph is chosen, but what's important about Joseph is he is in the king line of David. If there had been a king in the days of Joseph, it would have been him or his father before him, uh, before his father passed away. But Jesus is the son of David physically, and that came through Mary. And uh, it, it's interesting that um, that. The sons of David both are come through that, and, uh, and they come down to Mary and Joseph. So I just want to lay that out there kind of as a basis, but we're only going to look in the Matthew genealogy because he's the one that mentions the women. And so some select verses, verses 3, 5, uh, 6, and 16. So let me uh, read these to you. And in verse 3, we find the first one. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron. So Tamar is the woman. This is, uh, I'll get into that story a little bit later. But look with me in verse 5. I'm going to read all of them, even though we're not going to cover all of them. In uh, verse 5, we see that uh, Nashon is the father of Salmon, and Salmon is the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, you know who Rahab is, but we're going to cover Tamar and Rahab today. But then, and Salmon uh, get, uh, gives birth, uh, his wife gives birth to Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth. We have two women mentioned in verse 5. Ruth is another one in the line of Jesus Christ. And then you can uh, uh, skip down to the next verse and into verse 6. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so the wife of Uriah. She's not named, but we know her as Bathsheba. And then in verse 16, uh, the scripture says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these women. We thank you that you use these women uh, to continue the line. Lord, as we, as we look in all the historical records that are in Scripture, we see that at, at some times that line hung by a single person. In fact, that, that one today is, is one of those. And, and that, Lord, you were guiding through things, sometimes sinful things, sometimes horrible situations, but you were guiding in every instance. 
So, Lord, we have trust in you today. We, have, we can have hope because we know that no matter how dire it looks, no matter how last second it seems the delivery comes, Lord, we know that you will deliver. You will keep your promises. And so we trust you. We hope in you. Lord, we have peace because we have this hope. And today, as we look at these two women, we pray that you would open our eyes, build wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In our, in our country, I seem to go back to this a lot, but we have, we have a celebrity culture. And so we, we are interested, we're eat up with knowing about the people we look up to, whether it be sports figures or, or Hollywood people. I, I read a news uh, uh, article uh, this week uh, that some middle school boys, ninth, ninth grade or high school boys, I guess, ninth grade freshman basketball team, and he wanted to have a, uh, one of the kids wanted to have a meeting with all the kids on the team. And so he texted all of them and he was entering their phone numbers and calling them by name so that they would all meet. He misdialed one of the numbers. And so he got a message, when the meeting started, he got a guy on this collective meeting that said, do you think I'm Timmy? I'll just say that wasn't the name. And the kid said, yes. He said, well, I'm not. My name is, and gave his name. He says, I'm the wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they said, right, no way. You know, you're, you're messing with us. He goes, no, no, really. And they wouldn't believe him. So he turned on his camera and went into the meeting, showing himself in front of his locker room, and his, in front of his locker. They still weren't real sure because, you know, they wear helmets and you don't know all the players. So he said, Ron, come over. So Ron Gronkowski gets in the picture. Hey, guys. And in a minute, Tom Brady comes over. Hey, guys. So they realized they'd messed up. Well, they want, we always want to know stuff like that. We want to know what are those guys really like? What is that person really like? I, I don't think I'm a celebrity, but I experience what people think about other people as a pastor. And, and here's what I mean by that. When, when you see me up here preaching, I'm preaching the Word of God and all of that, you think I... Sometimes, it's going to sound arrogant. I got to slow myself down. I thank God for, uh, for Pastor Milton last week. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope he loosened y'all up a little bit. That was, uh, we watched both services and it was, it was so good. I, I so appreciated him. So thank him for coming. But, but what I was going to say is people have a certain presupposition about me. Like, oh, you must have a wonderful life. You must have always had a wonderful life. So sometimes when they're in need and they come to ask for help, they're afraid that I can't identify with them. But nothing can be further from the truth. We, we, we've had as much trouble and heartache and, and continue to have trouble and heartache as anybody in this room probably. I, I wouldn't exaggerate that. I'm sure some of you may have been through worse. But you understand what I mean. It's not that I can't identify. It's just because you see me preaching, this is kind of your idea of who I am. Now, we of course try to live everything we preach and teach. But you, I hope you get my point. So sometimes we look at Jesus, and this is what our play was about last two nights. We get to thinking of the Jesus the church has created instead of the Jesus of the Bible. I mean, even Christmas, it's always this very beautiful scene. We've got a nativity scene up in our yard and all through our house. I love nativity scenes. But we have this woman bowing over the baby and the dad bowing over the baby. And all the animals are still and quiet. I got a dog that's never still or quiet. Can you imagine being in a cave that is holding sheep and other animals in a feeding trough and, 
And all of that, and it being still and quiet and clean and neat. Now, it was a mess. But we sanitized the Bible in a sense. Well, we got two ladies today, kind of hard to sanitize. I even asked Pastor Stephen, I said, how do you read this to the church? He says, tell them this is the Bible. You read it and say, cover your kids' ears. You can explain it to them later. So I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to read it. But Genesis 38 gives us this first woman we want to look at, this woman, Tamar. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. Christ brings hope and peace, peace in the midst of our anxieties and trouble. And so in Genesis 38, we find the story of Tamar. Now, we've been in Genesis, and as if you read that genealogy, you see it goes all the way back to Adam, uh, either Matthew or the Luke, goes all the way back to Adam. It is from Adam, and, and we've learned this as we've preached through Genesis, that God was guarding this bloodline even through Noah's sons, through Adam's sons, and it comes down to Jesus. There was a specific way he wanted that to happen, and it did happen that way. And so the first thing we see are these two women who are uh, uh, Tamar and Rahab. Both these women were disgraced in their life. They had been disgraced. Let me just tell you the story of Tamar because that will be the most sanitized way I can do it. You can read chapter 38 because it is a story that would make us blush if I read it out loud. Tamar is married to Judah's oldest son. Now, you remember who Judah is. <clears throat> he is a son of Jacob, right? He's the son of Israel. He is the, uh, I think, the fourth son born, born to Leah, who we've studied about. And Judah is the tribe, of course, that Jesus is going to come from. In case you're losing that connection, you shouldn't because this is one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmas. So she's married to Jacob's oldest son. Well, he dies. So in that day, in that custom, and you got to put yourself in the Bibles where, where it is, in the mindset, Moses has not yet been born. He's not going to be born for about 300 more years. And, and so they don't have the law yet. So there's a lot of customs that we know about. And one of the customs is if a woman is married to a man and he dies, his next closest relative has to take her as his wife because they had multiple wives anyway. And take care of her so that his brother's bloodline won't end. So her first husband dies. So Jacob gives her his second son. I mean Judah, thank you. By the way, her first husband died because he was wicked. God didn't want that boy to be in the bloodline. The sec well, Judah was no prize either. But the second boy... He doesn't do what he should, and God kills him too. We're going to leave it at that. Tamar says, now what, to, to Judah, who is who she has to go back to. And Judah says, well, I got a third boy, but he's too young to get married yet. Just wait till he's old enough, and then I'll let you marry him. So he sends her home to her dad. Now, just in context of the story, and, and I can't show it all to you in Scripture right now, but in the context of the story, Jacob kind of knows what's going on because later on he gets this report about her. So we know that he's a little bit keeping up. But that little boy grows up and he does, and we don't know how, you know, we don't know exact ages here. But that young man grows up and, J and Judah does not give him to Tamar or give Tamar to him to be her husband. So Tamar is now childless. 
husbandless, abandoned, forgotten about, not alone, but close to it. So she has been disgraced. She's been widowed twice. Both her husbands were evil. And now Judah, in effect, has lied to her because he made a promise he didn't keep and abandoned her to die a widow with no children. Well, one day Tamar gets news that Judah's on his way to her town. So she dresses up as a priestess of a cult that went on back then that used um, a certain activity as worship. And Judah comes by, and he doesn't want to worship their God, but for whatever reason, he sees her and says, Hey, can, can we go have a talk? <laughs> and uh, she says, Sure. Now she's wearing a veil, so he can't see her face. So at the end of their talk, he, he, she says, what are you going to give me? He says, well, I'll give you a lamb, and, but I don't have it with me. I'll send it later. She said, well, what, how do I know that? I need some down payment. So he takes off his signet ring, takes off a bracelet, and gives her his, or a cord, the cord that probably is holding the signet ring. They, it, a signet would either be a stone with a carving on it, or a ring to, to be an official seal. So he probably had it hung around his neck with a cord. So he didn't pop it out. He probably took it off. So he gave the signet the cord that held it. And a staff. Now the signet identifies I am Judah. And I have. <laughs> my name is Judah. And I approve of this message. Okay. That's what that signet means. Right. And then the staff is a sign of authority. Now they're shepherds. And so they have a staff. But a king would also have a staff. And that word can mean either thing in the text so he gives us to to her as a down payment he goes home sends the lamb back and the servant taking the lamb can't find her so he asks some guys hey there was this temple lady over here and uh i can't find her my master sent me to give her something they said we don't have one of those around here so he's a little embarrassed doesn't know what to do so he goes back and he tells you said she's not there i don't know who she is She's disappeared. He goes, well, okay, just come back. Don't worry about it. Let's be quiet about it. Well, about three months later, word comes to Judah. His daughter-in-law is expecting a child because it was Tamar. Now, so Judah says, well, bring her in because we're going to have her put to death because she has been immoral. So she comes in and says, he goes, who did you cheat with? She said, the guy who owns these and hands them back to him. He went, whoops. (laughs) You are more righteous than I am, is what the Bible says. She is more righteous than I. We can look at that three different ways. Either he's saying they're both righteous, but she's better at it. He's saying, I'm not righteous, and she is. Or he is saying, man, I messed up, and she's more righteous than I am. And that she kept her word. All right, so we're going to leave that there. She has twins, one of whom becomes the great-grandfather of Christ. Then we have Rahab. And and you probably, if you've been in church much, you've heard about Rahab. We find her story in Joshua 2. And we find that that Moses has died. The, the, The young man Joshua, and by young man, he's now 80, uh, is going in to take the land uh, he's going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And the first spot they come to is a place called Jericho. It has this huge um, wall around it. The wall was, was unbelievably wide. It was impenetrable. In those days, the wall of the city 
um, signified how strong that city was. And so they're not sure what they're going to do. And Joshua sends some spies in to check out the land and to see what is going on there. They're doing some recon. Well, obviously, they're about to be discovered. So they, get, they find this woman named Rahab who lets them come into her dwelling, which happens to be within the wall of that city. Now, Rahab is a professional at what Tamar had done to Judah. She, she, that's her living. So again, she's disgraced. She is a woman who does that to get by as, as a living. Her desperation and letter to the shameful profession. She lies to her city in order to protect those spies. I'm going to show you what happens there. Both these women, they had an opportunity. Tamar took that opportunity with Judah, but she exposed Judah's injustice by what she did. That, that both women have been disgraced, but both women have this opportunity. She exposes Judah's injustice and his, and, and his uh, uh, injustice, I should say, by not giving her his son to raise up. But God wanted it to come straight from Judah for some reason. We don't know why, except that he did. And she gives birth to twins, and Perez is the one that becomes the grandfather of Christ eventually. But Rahab... She committed an act of treason. Now, I want you to catch that. Because where did she belong? She belonged to Jericho, right? She is a citizen of Jericho. She commits an act of treason. She lies to her government in order to protect God's people. Sort of like Corey Timboom's dad did in World War II, right? And if that bends your mind, let it bend it, Okay. There's a time when our allegiance has to be right. And she saves the spies. She saves her family later on through this. But what did she say when they came? She said, we've heard about you guys. And I want to be counted in that with you guys. I don't want to be a Jericho person anymore. I want to be in Israel. They said, okay, when we come back through here, if you'll hang a scarlet cord out of your window, a scarlet thread or rope, however you want to put it. It's a famous sermon, uh, a, a, a saint, a preacher who's passed on, W.A. Criswell, used to preach every year at his church on, on New Year's Eve called the Scarlet Thread of Redemption. It would take him three hours to do it, and people still came back year after year. Can you imagine? If I said, hey, y'all come back Sunday night. I'm going to preach three hours straight, and y'all going to listen. And you came. I would be shocked. I just would be. But Criswell did this every year. It's a printed sermon. You can find it. You can read it. Where he goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation, showing the blood of Jesus through the Bible, the bloodline of Jesus, the promise of God. Because all this really starts in Genesis 3, when the woman Eve was deceived and Adam sinned by eating of the fruit and men fell and God promises the devil I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed the only woman ever gave birth to a baby without the benefit of a human father was Mary right so her seed can only mean Mary and so this warfare starts between Satan and Almighty God and they fight for through time till today. He still wants to destroy uh, who Christ is and what he has done for us. 
So Rahab says, I want in on that. I don't want to be a citizen of Jericho anymore. That was treason against her government. But she saved those spies. And she is incorporated into the commonwealth of Israel. And she marries a guy named Salmon, who later becomes, she becomes the great grandmother, or becomes the grandmother of David. That's pretty amazing. That's extremely amazing. Both these women had an opportunity to act, and they did, but they, in the middle of it, it was something they shouldn't have done. Can you explain that? If you're asking me, not really. Other than God can even use bad stuff to accomplish good. Now, I want to go back to my opening kind of illustration about myself, of noticing that. We have that sanitized picture of Jesus. I've never, well, I won't say never, but I've rarely seen a portrayal of Jesus where he's not in a white robe and there's a glow about his head and he seems kind of very delicate in his appearance. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible says he was like. The Bible says he was so plain you wouldn't even notice him. Plain looking. There was nothing about him that made you go, whoa, who's that dude? It was the force of the Holy Spirit in his life that people were the reason people were attracted to him. And when we get that sanitized picture of Christ from what we have seen, you and I begin to think he's unapproachable because I'm such a horrible sinner. I've told the story before that as a teenager, I was about 17, and we were witnessing to a young lady who was 15, and she said, I can't be saved. And we said, why? She said, you don't know what I've done, and God can't love me, can't save me. And she's only 15. Can you imagine somebody carrying that kind of guilt, that kind of false knowledge, because God can save you. God can save from the uttermost to the, gutter, the guttermost to the uttermost, right? He can save everybody who will cry out to him in faith and ask him to save them. And the Bible says that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. If you're thinking you're coming to a guy whose line is pristine, who everything's okay, no, he came to us as a baby so we could see him, so we could touch him, so we could handle him, we could, Peter said it, our hands have touched the eternal weight of glory. We've seen it with our eyes. We've handled it with our hands. We, he came so that we could identify with him, so we could know him. God, if he'd appeared as he is, if he'd appeared, if Jesus had come as a superman, if he'd had come as, a, as that kind of a hero, we would be in awe and we would never want to be like him or we would want to and think we couldn't. But the Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. We are being changed into the image of Christ. Why? Because he came as a man. He died as a man, a perfect man on the cross for our sins, not for his own. And in his family line, there's enough bad stuff going on that you can't go, wow, he would never understand my life. And he claims them. He, the Holy Spirit put it on these writers to put those people in this genealogy. So we would see that God saves people, he changes people, and he uses us to bring about his glory. Both these women chose God. Tamar saved the family line to bring us to Christ. Now she did it in a bad way. But obviously this was the will of God because it happened. I, you know there's an argument in the, in the world. It's in the church world. 
between what we call Calvinism and Arminianism, predestination and free will. There's always this argument going on. And the problem with arguing about that is we're letting the world go to hell while we argue about how God's going to do it. That, that's like turning, on the, turning on the light switch on and arguing about how come the lights came on when you flip the switch. Somebody might think it's magic. Somebody might think there's somebody up there rubbing sticks together to create light. Some people might know the truth, that it's electricity flowing through wires and how all that works. But if we sillily sit around and talk about how the lights come on and never throw on the switch, the lights are going to come on, right? So what I would say is, but everybody is a looking backwards Calvinist, which means God was obviously in control to make that happen, right? God was moving these people to, to create the line of Christ. And Tamar saves the family line of Christ. Satan wanted it destroyed. And he had his way with the two brothers that, he, that God had to put to death. And to make sure that Tamar had the baby she was supposed to have. Rahab saved the spies when, when they marched around. And I got a feeling her house is in the wall. This is the part I struggle with. There are parts of the Bible we struggle with because God doesn't give us all the details. The walls fell down flat, the Bible says. But for some reason, her house wasn't hurt. That'd be like being in the middle of an earthquake and not shaking. All right? However that worked, I don't know. But they saw the scarlet thread. that The spies had sent the word throughout the camp. Listen, there's a lady in there, and she helped us out. She hid us. She wants to be a part of us. She's going to have a red rope hanging out her window. When you see that red rope, don't kill anybody in her house. Because that's what they told her. Get your family in your house. If they're outside the house, not on us. But if they're in your house, we'll protect you. And they found her and they got her and her family out. And she marries into the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. And becomes one of the people of God. And a great grandmother of Christ. And Tamar's brokenness in her abandonment. In her isolation. She had hope. And we can have hope. Listen, I, I don't know what you're anxious about today. I don't know what you're worried about today. We all tend to go to worry. We all worry about problems. Some people train themselves to overcome problems because you never solve a problem by worrying about it. My dad was not a worrier. My mom was, and I take after my mom, so I'm just going to tell you. I, I've had to learn this lesson. I asked my dad one time why he didn't worry. He said, because it doesn't accomplish anything. If it accomplished something, I would do it. But nothing's ever been solved by worrying about it. It's a waste of energy. Listen, God's in control and we can trust that he is. And we can hope that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. If you didn't catch it in that film clip, a simple definition of hope is confident expectation. In other words, a promise has been made. I am so confident that God's going to do it. I live as if it's going to happen Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what my eyes are telling me, regardless of what my body's telling me, regardless of what somebody else tells me, I believe what God said and I'm trusting that and that is what we call hope, even if we never see it with these eyes, these physical eyes. In Tamar's brokenness and in your anxiety, you can hope in God. You can know he is real. In Rahab, she has war going on. Her city is about to be destroyed. You can say, well, she just wanted to save her own skin. I don't think so. I think she heard about the God of Israel, and God spoke to her heart and said, I'm the true God. And she said, I want in on that. And when she saw the opportunity to be placed into the people of God, she took advantage of that. 
And as she did so, she saved those spies. She saved that first attack on Jericho, what God was going to do. And she found peace in the midst of a battle. Again, I don't know what battle you're in. I don't know what is causing that anxiety. It's some war that wars in your flesh. The Bible says in James that we have division and warfare even in our own body and in the body of Christ because we fight and argue. And he says, and you don't have what you want fighting and arguing over because you didn't ask. If you would just ask, you'd receive it. But when you ask and you don't receive it, it's because you wanted it to consume it on yourself. So many times as people and as a church, we pray for God's blessing. We pray for God's provision. And then we spend it all on us. God's never given you anything. Well, that's too strong a statement. God gives you things to take care of you and your family. But he also gives you an abundance that you might give it away. And I have noticed this in my life. This is experience. I think the Bible teaches it, but it's also my experience. I've never seen anybody give away they didn't receive back multifold. That God gives multiple in return. We don't understand all the ways of God. We don't understand why God does everything he does. And so we can sit around and question why, or we can trust him and go forward. Both Tamar and Rahab trusted God and moved forward. And in Rahab's wartime, she found peace. Both these women found grace. They found forgiveness. They found a blessing from God. And I would encourage you today that if you don't know Christ, that's the first blessing. Amen. All of God's people would say, amen. The first great gift he gives us is our salvation. Everything after that is just icing on the cake, man. Listen, if God never did anything else for me, I, every morning I wake up, I say, thank you. I know you. Thank you that you came to me, that you redeemed me, that you made me yours. And I just thank you for that. Because the only thing I ever deserved was hell. The only thing God owed me was hell. But he gave me Christ. He gave me salvation. And so what can you do about these stories this week? Well, first of all, God uses the low points in our life to showcase his glory, okay? If you're going through a struggle, just know that God wants to showcase his glory. That's what he does. Horrible situations. Both these women have stuff about them, like I said, that somebody would get real upset about if I really actually talked about it uh, in this forum. But understand this. We can trust God's redemptive thread. You can trust God's redemptive thread in your life. You can become a part of God's family. It doesn't have to be like Rahab. She had to join up and be in the, the commonwealth of Israel and start keeping all the laws. The laws had, had come about by the time Rahab comes along. They're new, but, but they're there. And yet she is adopted in, and contrary to the law, by the way, we see her accepted fully into Judaism, into the nation of Israel, and her her. Uh, Boaz, who's coming from her, marries a woman who shouldn't be accepted in, and yet her grandson becomes the king of Israel. God's breaking the very laws of Moses all by himself. Because both Boaz, well, we'll get to Boaz later. But so in, in, in your life, you can trust that that scarlet thread continues today for us. That we trust the blood of Christ and the bloodline of Christ. Secondly, keep your focus on God. 
especially when there's a thousand distractions around you. I don't know how it happens, but December has gotten so crowded. Now, when I was younger, it was crowded. Now it's more crowded. I didn't think it would get more crowded. There's, there's barely a break in time in the month of December for those of us in the church, especially those in leadership. It is just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. It's hard to find a moment. We can each individually find a few moments, but it's hard to get two people together for a few moments. It's, so I appreciate y'all being here this morning, all right? This is, our, this is our opportunity, right? We set this time aside. I thank you for that. But this time of year brings about a thousand distractions, and they're not all about God. They're not all about Christ. They're not all about grace. Man, I so appreciated Milton last week. If you didn't hear the first service, uh, he talked about what you do in the grocery store that hang out at the produce. Y'all remember that? Because nobody is in a hurry in the produce section because they're examining the fruit. <laughs> I, I really liked how he did that. Well, there's a thousand distractions keep us moving like this in December. Man, slow down. Take a break. Get up earlier if you have to. Spend time with God. Make, keep your eyes on him. And then thirdly, live in the hope and peace that Emmanuel, God with us, has brought to us. Tamar found hope. Okay, now I'm going to have a baby. Now we're okay because that was how a woman's worth was measured. Rahab found peace. She's been at war. She's having to do things maybe she didn't even want to do. I don't know. We don't know what she thought about it. But when she heard about the God of Israel, she said, that's the God I want. I want that God. I want him to be my God. And she found the peace of God. The Bible says it passes understanding. And that God accepted her and brought her in and showed his love to her. Friend, I... If you're a person that says, yeah, I, I would wish I could talk to somebody about some of my problems, but they wouldn't understand. Listen, I know somebody who does understand. It's Jesus. There's nothing you can bring to him he doesn't understand. He came and lived here, so you couldn't accuse him of that. And he experienced all the things we experience, yet without sin. And then he died on a cross for us. Christmas is about the cross, not about the birth. But we can't have the cross without the birth, so we celebrate it. But the real celebration comes that he was a baby born to die. He came from real people with real problems that God solved and got him here. And I hope through the women as we go forward and through Tamar and Rahab today, you can see the hope and peace that you too can have in Christ. Lord, we thank you. You said in Corinthians that you didn't choose the the people of noble birth. You didn't choose the people that, that uh, had it all together. You choose the weak. You choose the ones not wise in this world. You choose the ones who are not of noble birth, but are of common birth. And Lord, you, you even had yourself have a common birth to a real family, a, a royal line for sure, but more people in that line messed up than did it right. And yet you came to us through that family. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that you came as one of us so that we could know you and become part of who you want us to be, part of your family, a spiritual son of God. Not a son like you, we know, but nonetheless... All authority has been given to you in heaven and earth. And you said, so you go therefore because now you call us brothers. We are the brothers and sisters of God himself, of Christ. 
And so in this world, we have authority to overcome the enemy who is Satan. And so, Lord, we pray that when we think about your birth, we think about the fact that you overcame all of this, even in your birth. But, it, but especially by your death and resurrection, you overcame the enemy. You overcame the power of hell so that we could be saved, so that we can know you, so that we can have fellowship with you. And I pray that this day, our lives would be dedicated to you. In this moment, I don't know what anxieties you have. I doubt there's anybody in the room above a certain age that has no anxiety at all. We all have a concern. We all have an issue. We all have a a worry. It might be a relative. It might be something that haunts you from your past. It might be something that you are afraid is going to happen in the future. And you have all these fears and all these anxieties on you. Tamar and Rahab had those. And some of what they did, we can't say was okay. But you used all of it to bring about your glory. And so, Lord, we know that whatever we face, we want to do the right things. We want to walk with you. We want to be right before you. But, Lord, it is the righteousness of Christ that makes us right, not our own actions. And so, Lord, we thank you that you forgive us. And if you're sitting there and you are in that position, I would just right now say to you, tell God what your anxiety is. Tell God what your problem, your worry is. Have hope in him. Trust in him. If you can find the strength, talk to someone who can help you. If you're lost, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, your Lord, you would not have the confidence if you were to die in the next moment, you'd be in heaven. I'm going to hang around. Other people will be here too. And just come talk to me. I'll be very visible for, for a little while after this service. And all you have to do is come talk to me. And we, I, we'll talk about what your need is. But right now, pray and tell God, I want you to take all my worries, all my anxieties, take all of it and take it to the foot of the cross and let the death of Christ cover that for you. The the death of Christ covered the sins of Tamar, covered the sins of Rahab, and redeemed what they did by your blood. And so, Lord, I just thank you that you buy us back You wash away the filth, make us pure and white and clean and holy before you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.